all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and the lore. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup, and I'm here with my very lovely co-host. Wow, I get a lovely today. Um, Cool, thanks. I'm Shelby or Sheacup. And we're here continuing our deep dive on the individual Evanuris series. And today is another god whose name is not how you would say it. But first, we do have yes. a guest. But first, we Hi. do have a guest with us. Um, Surprise, I've been here the entire time. <laughs> um, I know, Austin, you just forgot about that to introduce Katie. But Katie or uh, Gil Dirthalin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I've seen you guys around. It's good to finally touch base and uh, attack your show and so yes. <laughs> <laughs> say hello. Yes, yeah, and I know that uh, you like June, uh, June, and mm. have some theories about him, and so we'll get into that a little bit later. But mm-hmm. I'm really excited for our episode today. So the first thing we always do is we talk about fun facts, trivia, whatever random bits of information that don't fit in everywhere else. So the mm-hmm. first thing, the first thing, everyone, is that this elven god is not pronounced June, even though it's spelled that way. It's actually pronounced June, which thank you, Katie, for your YouTube <laughs> video, because I would not have known. <laughs> but this is canon lore, according to the Dictionary of Terms in the World of Thetis Encyclopedia. Yeah, it um, it has a helpful thing this is pronounced june which at this point like it's been so long between games i'm just like totally prepared for the next game to come out I'm like oh yes and the god june and i just sit there sad like i look like a crazy person <laughs> this entire time <laughs> um that probably will happen about a lot of things not just this oh, yeah. one so you know it is what it is but i would love just as a side note i would love for bioware if they do a world of thetis encyclopedia three mm-hmm. i would love a pronunciation guide just uh, yes for everything if, if yeah. nothing else just to settle the arlathan versus arlathan <laughs> oh my god that debate is <laughs> well, never ending you know we can blame star wars for this because uh, when ooh. george lucas made star wars uh-huh. he basically said it's say it however you want oh no and and so we get all of these different things like leah versus leia and a bunch of other that I run a Star Wars podcast as mm-hmm. well. And so I just always say, 
it is what it is. But I think what George Lucas was trying to do, and maybe what Dragon Age is trying to do, is recreate a realistic world where mm-hmm. things are pronounced differently, depending on where you are and who's saying it. So the aluminum versus aluminium debate. Correct. Um, but back to the fun facts on June. So I think the most interesting thing is that we know the least about June than we mm-hmm. do of any of the other Evanuris. Like it, we know so little about him and even so much as like some of the other elven gods we know, like we know they had a temple. We know it was like in this general area. We don't even know if he had a temple. We can kind of assume, but mm-hmm. we have no confirmation of that in the lore. And there are lots and lots of other similar instances of that as well. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, also, you can, on this note, you can find a sword in Inquisition named Evanura. And it was accordingly to its description was created by the high keeper of June. So we can kind of guess, okay, he had a high keeper, which I'm not really sure what a high keeper is. We can probably assume that he had priests and priestesses as well. So we're just kind of deducing. Yeah. There's probably a temple somewhere too. And if, if I'm remembering correctly, the sword of Anura and like the mentions of high keeper, that also dates back to the, the Dale. So it's even years after the, all the gods were locked away too so yes. we don't know how, like there's there's the dalish beliefs and then there's what actually ever was reality so mm-hmm. who knows if there really was no i'm going to call it the cult of Junae. there really was no cult of Junae back in the day but in the modern times there are people who revered Junae for whatever reason decided to copy other religions i suppose and forms of worship so who who knows if he traditionally even had a high keeper it's mm-hmm. all just up in the air who knows yeah and i think that's a great point and also it, it brings up a good point that we know so little about this it's very possible that especially in the time of the dales and even probably before but specifically the time of the dales these the um the reverence to these gods like it doesn't function as like a polytheistic religion. Like most Mm -hmm. people are loyal to one of the gods and like they may acknowledge the other ones, but they don't necessarily worship all of them. They usually pick one. So we just don't know if he actually had a lot of followers or he was just kind of sidelined, which is a little sad to think about. We, we, again, we just don't really know. Mm -hmm. Right. And we see that with, um, And I would be curious because in our real history, when we look at Greek and Roman mythology, they had different cults and sects of different gods. And it was rare that like a priestess of um, Athena or priest of Athena is not going to revere Poseidon or Hades or any other god more than they do Mm -hmm. there, even at God's existence. Um, I think in our law, largely monotheistic world the definition of worship in the monotheistic religions is a little different than the polytheistic ones yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's fair well let's get into what we do know about june because there are some things um and i know that some of the gods we've talked about so far like they've only had one name well you would think since we know so little about june you'd think he would fall into that category as well but actually he does have three different kind of titles or names that he has been referred to with which is god of the craft 
Master of Crafts and Clever June. And I think also the Crafts the Crafts Master, which is very difficult to say, can also be kind of thrown in there. Um, mm-hmm. So he does have a few different things. Um and they kind of all go together. They're all about craft, crafting. And I think Clever June ties into that with, oh, he's clever because he was an inventor of of said crafts, which we'll get into later what craft actually means. Um, <laughs> but for now, let's talk about his roles and relationships within the Evanuris. So, um. Again, we know so little about June that even his role among the Evanuris is debated, as you can probably expect. But there are a few interpretations of his role, which include, number one, brother to Andriel and Silas, number two, husband to Silas, and number three, that he created himself. And this last part is very interesting to me because we know that Gilanon was raised into the Evanuris. And there's some interpretation, two different codex entries give us two kind of varying accounts, whether uh, she was helped by the entire Evanuris, where, or she was kind of crying out to them and they raised her uh, mm-hmm. because she was just that holy. Um, and then we have June who kind of echoes that solitary being raised um, where he created himself. So, mm-hmm. I think that that's a really interesting parallel. I'm not sure we have any other parallels between June and Gilanon, but I do think that's interesting. Do y'all have thoughts about this one? So I, it's one of those things that like, I don't really have anything substantial to base it on, but this has always been kind of like where my hunch is and like where my mind is. I've always kind of connected Janae and uh, Gilanon to just kind of be like, I think there is like a, a family, quote unquote, and they're not part of the family. Like they came in, they married in, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I kind of believe. And I think that, you know, uh, Gilanon was raised by Andrul to be a goddess. And I think you could easily use the interpretation that created himself means that he was able to raise himself up into godhood. And so, like, I, I guess I've always thought of the godhood of of the Evanuris having something to do with like killing a Titan in Titan's heart based on like some codex entries in the murals. Um, the codex entry being Korth uh, the Mountain Father, I think it is. Um, and then a uh, there, there's like that mural that you see in Trespasser that you have to go into like the Dwarven Underground and it has like um, on, on either side, it has uh, an Elven figure with like an orb and then there's the dying Titan with like a star in the center of its chest. And then on the other side is an elf with that star in it, like holding that star. And I think that's kind of an explanation on where the power of the Evanuris came from, which speaking of, maybe that's actually just Junae. Maybe that's a depiction of Junae killing a Titan. I don't know. Um, so I maybe he was just the one to figure out how to get that godhood without the help of the others. You know, or maybe he was the first one to do so. I don't know. Well, mm. you would think actually Elgrinon, based on like him being the old father, would be the first. But because I think he said first of his people, wasn't it? I don't know. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's fair. I also I personally really like Elgrinon. Um, but <laughs> anyway, I I very much agree with the kind of lens of looking at Gilanon and June as like the in laws. Mm-hmm. Very much that tracks so much with everything we've given about them in the lore like 
yeah, they're included, but they're different. Like they're not mm-hmm. as good as the rest of us kind of mm-hmm. like, that's how, that's how it reads to me. I don't know if we're reading into it. Um, I mean, I do feel like looking at Dragon Age lore is a little bit like you have to read into it a little bit too much. Oh, totally. But um, no, I think that's absolutely a fair interpretation. It is very interesting. Um, Austin, did you have something to add? Well, and it's interesting to me because they're conflicting report. Like there's conflicting like information in our actual mythologies on like you know we always assume like the 12 olympians are the strongest of the greek gods and in some interpretations mainly the percy jackson series but other interpretations poseidon hades and zeus sit on top of the olympians and zeus being the leader and ruler but it's unclear whether they like are equal in power i think the evanuris in what we know at least set up that Mythal and Elgernon are the strongest and the other ones are very much pale in comparison in terms of power. Are they just forgotten because they're not the strongest ones or the most popular ones? It is kind of interesting to think about it like, of course, there are way more Greek gods than there are Evanuris, but, you know, having that group of the 12 Olympians versus like, oh, all the rest of them, like, I guess your comparison would be that Mythal and Elgernon are like the 12 Olympians and the rest of the Evanuris is like the other ones. Yes, very much so. Like, you know, um, like the gods of the winds, like they're minor gods to Zeus. Mm. I Similar to that. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know, but... Um, Let's move on a little bit. I think uh, one of the reasons why June is somewhat unknowable is because like his followers didn't just do one thing. Like he wasn't just associated with one specific thing. Like Elgernon is associated with like the sun and rage. Like those are his things. June does not have one thing. They weren't interested in just knowledge or just justice. He had high keepers making swords and knots and blacksmithing and, you know, just lots of different things that they were all doing. And so I think we can make the assumption giving June's name, the god of craft, of course, he's god of crafting of all kinds, which mm-hmm. is a very broad dominion. Um, and I am kind of arguing, I think that the broadness of that dominion, even though it encompasses a couple of different, more than a couple, a few different things, it does come close to Mythal and Elgernon in power. And I mm-hmm. think we can kind of think of him as a threat to them almost. So I wonder, this is a little bit theorizing, but I wonder if one of the reasons why we have such little information about June is because Mythal and Elgernon were perhaps threatened by him and they actively suppressed his followers and information about him. Yeah. With um, Flemeth also being alive and well and, you know, uh, doing whatever and the shards of Mythal, like she very well could easily have twisted history to make June just absolutely obsolete for the most mm-hmm. part. Or like, I guess I've always interpreted the um, Junae's the God of Crafts because there, there is a codex entry that will kind of get on a little bit later here where it talks about what is uh, what if Junae's domain, domain 
uh, was something um, unknowable to like modern day society. And that's why it's kind of so broad because the people who are currently living in Thetis without the veil, I don't really couldn't do what he was doing anymore. And so it just kind of became like, it's like his godhood was stripped away. Like people who worshipped him, like, well, what the fuck do we do now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, kind of doing something like that, and just kind of became splintered. And you have doing different fraction, different factions doing different things, and it kind of became. You got the people that do the knots. You got the people that do the blacksmithing. You got the people that do the puzzles and all sorts of different nonsense. But um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think like I do a lot of in this series, I've been doing a lot of comparisons to real world mythologies. Mm-hmm. And we have this trope again, like Hephaestus is the craftsman of the gods and mm-hmm. he is the god of crafts and blacksmiths and all of that. And he is outcast even from the 12 Olympians. Like he mm-hmm. is ugly. And so either Zeus or Hera or whatever throws him off a mountain because he doesn't fit with the image that they want to create. And maybe there's something similar going on, like Shelby said, with June in that like June creates himself. He ascends to godhood himself without the help of the other Evanduris. And so maybe he is a threat. Maybe he doesn't fit the mold in which their family is putting out. So he, like Hephaestus, is cast out. Mm. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up, Hephaestus. is it Hephaestus or Hephaestus? I'm not educated um, i've always heard hephaestus but i don't know i don't know how to pronounce it either so uh, let's just uh, go with hephaestus since that's isn't that great. what they say on percy jackson yes that is what they say on percy jackson um so and we'll i go think with it's the percy jackson and it's that ph sound that makes that like hephaestus i guess okay whatever well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought Hephaestus up because there, I think there's a lot of parallels between him and Junae because like like Junae or or like Hephaestus, Junae is married to Soleil's. and while she's not said to be the most beautiful, she's the very much like the most I'm going to say traditional womanly. She's mm-hmm. the uh, the one that helps with births and childbearing and the hearthkeeper, and she's very much like what is traditionally known as feminine arts. Um, and it, really, Mithal and and Andril don't really have that like hyper femininity that Salais really has, and so I I think it'd be very easy to say. Oh, and Gilanon, uh, Gilanon was said to be pretty beautiful though, so maybe maybe that's something. But um, it, it, I think you can easily put her and and Venus together or Aphrodite um, as kind of a similarity, and, and I think also with um. Uh, if, if I'm remembering cor- correctly, Hephaestus had like um, he would build like ancient Greek moving statues and stuff like that made out of metal, um, and like that was like a whole situation. And if we don't know what Junae used to craft, could you say like, oh, he used to craft golems or that he did something it was similar to that? Because you do see moving statues in the series. <laughs> what That's is there true. some sort of relation to that? So, I don't know. This is me watching Jason and the Argonauts a couple days ago. That's what- <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think I think that there is something there. And I think part of the um, interesting thing about June is that they can take this person, this god, in so many different directions in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, there's so many things that they could build on, like with the golems. Um, 
However, I can also see fans of Dragon Age, specifically dwarf simps, being really <laughs> upset if they take another thing and say, oh, actually, this is all about the elves. So if, if I may, though, I yeah. this isn't my personal theory. I do not personally subscribe to it. However, there are fan theories out there that he uh, Junae is actually a dwarf mm -hmm. and he's an ancient dwarf that's somehow gone onto the Pantheon. Um, because uh, I believe the explanation was there. there is this in-game um, mural that's seen throughout. Um, I don't... Junae's is kind of a weird one. It's hard to see, but it's, it's, it's at least in the game files. And there's something like covering his face. And it's like a different color than all the other faces of the Evaneris. So people are like, oh, he had a beard. He's a little bit shorter, which I think if you look at the lineup, he's not the shortest one. So whatever. Um, and he's doing like traditional Dwarven things. And then the background of him has very geometric designs where the other designs of the Evaneris are very like wavy and flowy. So what if he was a dwarf? Mm -hmm. I, I, now, I will say like that same mural does have elven ears. Uh, rather than dwarven ears, but if you could easily say like, "Oh, well, this was built in the Dales," and blah 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 blah, I I don't know, but um, so yeah, I it would. Well, I don't personally subscribe to the idea. I would find it interesting if they did go that direction. And yeah, June did all this dwarven stuff because he was a dwarf and he somehow got on the pantheon. <laughs> I I think. I again, I think this makes total sense. I'm not saying I subscribe to it, but I think that it would be a fun inversion of like, okay, everything's about the elves. Oh, but actually, here's an example of the dwarves taking over, you know, part mm -hmm. of the elven religion. But I do think, I do think there is something there. I think that that is interesting. It does make everything make a little bit more sense in terms of like craft because these are all smithing especially mm -hmm. things that are associated with the dwarves and also june is not a very uh elven sounding name it's not frilly it's very basic it's very short it's not something mm -hmm. that is um it's not something i would assume to be elven but also going back to the mural you brought up um it if if that turns out to be the case, it wouldn't be the first time in lore that we have a mural depicting someone who is of a different race than is depicted because we mm -hmm. do have evidence of Shartan being depicted in an elven or in a mural in Orlais and his ears, you know, were made were into human ears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not that far out there. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's would even further highlight that the elves were no better than uh, the mm -hmm. the line is to venture in the game, but in this case, to be or lay. Right. Uh, um, yeah. So, okay, let's get into temples in Valisleen a little bit. So mm -hmm. I mentioned this earlier. There are no temples that we know of, but with the Valisleen, so he does have two versions. The complex version is like three lines above the eyebrows that mm -hmm. then intersect in the middle of the forehead and then continue down the cheeks and across to the mouth, four dots under the eyes and five dots across the cheeks and a line on the chin extending down the neck. And then the simple version is just the lines above the eyebrows and then down the cheeks and chin. Um, so that's the Valisleen. Nothing super like crazy like Elgernon's, but just still good to know about. Um, but I think now would be a good time for the midbreak, Austin. Well, let's head over to the midbreak. So you like to read? What's wrong with that? 
it's frivolous. There are more important things for me to do. That's just her favorite. Nobody asked you, Tavinta. <laughs> I couldn't finish the last one you lent me. I actually feel dumber for having tried. It's literature. Smutty literature. Whatever you do, don't tell Varric. Mm, no offense, but might I try? I've got a quick hand, after all. Ha, let's see. Oh, when was the last time I slipped my hand into some dark hole? Hmm. I remember a long story, that. You hurt my head sometimes, Solus. Yes. I have been known to do that. So welcome to the middle of the show where we thank all of our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons. A special thank you to our first patrons, Lisa M and Genesis. Um, yeah, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash DA Lorecast. That link's in the episode description. It's also on our website. You can also just Google Dragon Age Lorecast Patreon, and I bet it would show up. And so... If you want to sign up, you can do that. If you want to come on our patron chats, you can sign up at the first enchanter tier or higher. If you can't support us on Patreon, that's totally fine. We love doing these shows and we love providing them for free to all those who want to listen to them. But a great way to support us is to leave us reviews on Apple or Spotify. We don't have any reviews to read today. So if you have yet to tell us what you think or ask us a question in Spotify comments, Go ahead, leave us five stars and leave us a comment or question and we'll read it out on a future episode of the show. Also, you can come hang out with us on Discord and do everything there. We talk about all kinds of stuff like Baldur's Gate and everything else. Dragon Age, Assassin's Creed, all kinds of stuff on that Discord. It is the best place on the Internet. So please come and join us and hang out with us there. Other than that. I think that's all I have for the mid break. Awesome. Well, let's get back into it. Abominations are always so awkward at family reunions. Have you ever seen an abomination? They are ugly. Dorian, those words you say, what do they mean? What, you mean like mendicant? Ultimatum? No ass when you're mad. Pishanti Kofas. You're swearing, I know it. Vishanta Kafas. It's Tavin, relics of the old tongue. We still use the colorful phrases. And it means what? Literally, you shit on my tongue. <laughs> oh, you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. All right, so let's talk about the Dalish real quickly. Uh, of which it won't be very significant because none of the Dalish, none of the oldest Dalish depictions of the Evanuris include June, interestingly enough. Um, or if they do depict him, they do not depict him with the tools of crafting that he has later been associated with. So we can kind of take this to assume his role has changed over the years. Again, we don't exactly know how, but we can say, yes, he's changed in some way. And so I did bring the codex entry for June um, just to read some of it, because I think this kind of really explains a little bit about what craft means for the Dalish. So they say this. We dedicate all our crafts to June, for it is he who taught the people to bend the branches of trees to make our bows, 
and to fashion coverings of furs and ironbark. Without June, would we have the Aravel, or the harnesses for our hala? When the people were young, we wandered the forests without purpose. We drank from the streams and ate the berries and nuts that we could find. We did not hunt, for we had no bows. We wore nothing, for we had no knowledge of spinning or needlecraft. We shivered in the cold nights and went hungry through the winters, when all the world was covered in ice and snow. End quote. So this implies a lot of things. It implies that June gave them fire. It it explicitly says he taught them how to make bows, how to make clothing, how to make harnesses, how to hunt, um, how to, you know, process the things that you've hunted, all of these things. So that's a lot of stuff. Like usually in mythology, you have a god over hunting. You have a god over fire. You have like one person who gives you fire. You have another god over nature. Like they're usually much more separated out. So again, this goes back to my point of like June A has a huge domain. This could rival Mythal and Elgernon. Do y'all have thoughts about this codex so far? Um, definitely, because I want to point out two things. Um, so there's always one god who, like, in a lot of pantheons, who just has this big range of followers because their domains that they cover just cover a broad spectrum. Like, think about Hermes, the god of travelers. Almost every person in their life at one point would be traveling. Um, with maybe some few exceptions or other things. And like, again, like with the agriculture thing, like the god goddess Demeter, like this is going to be there. What's interesting to me of this is June now has comparisons with two major outcasts of the Greek pantheon, which is Hephaestus and um, Prometheus. And like Prometheus is the reason, like according to Greek mythology, we as humans would be unthinking slaves to the Olympians if it were not for Prometheus stealing the fire from Olympus and giving it to humanity, which kind of leads more to theory, like maybe Junae is this outcast of the Evanduris, maybe even more outcast than, say, Fenharel is. Whoa, getting crazy on us. <laughs> Notice I brought up Fenharel and not the other name. Okay, it, it will be okay. Um, I was going to say it's interesting. <laughs> the interesting part of this is the Prometheus reference, of course, because it's also, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Prometheus is also sometimes credited as creating humanity. So we have another reference, possibly uh, implicit reference, where Junae created himself and Prometheus created humanity. So there's a little bit of a, a coincidence there, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some other forms of Greek mythology, like Prometheus, Prometheus is related to Pandora. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so it's very interesting, like, that Pandora's box and the giving the fire. Again, all these things that symbolize like humanity taking hold of their own destiny but are punished in the greek mythology like prometheus is tied to a rock and vultures feast on his insides for all eternity that's gross pleasant 
I think that's interesting that Prometheus is tied with Pandora because I think you could also potentially make the connection between Gilanon and Pandora and all of her creatures. Yes, very mm. much so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am going to turn the dial down on the Greek mythological <laughs> comparisons because we have done a lot of that. Um, so let's let's get into some Dragon Age theory crafting. But first, I have one more information piece about the Dalish, which is that they do have a little puzzle that they do, like a Rubik's Cube brain teaser kind of thing that's made out of wood, and it's called Junae's Knot. Um, it's a mind teaser, like I said, but we have no idea why it's named Junae's Knot. We just know that it is. Um, I guess you can attribute that to crafting or maybe something else. Who knows? We don't. Um, but so we're going to go to Dragon Age Theory Crafting now with just some other thoughts and things that don't fit into our usual kind of outline of information. Um, and before I turn it over to Katie, I want to talk about something called the Grand Sonalium, which comes from a codex entry. And it's very interesting. It we really I just like titled this What the Hell Happened in the Grand Sonalium. And it comes from the Codex Virdarthara raising the Sonalium. So I'm just gonna read some of the Codex entry and we can kind of talk about it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so it, this is what it says. The pages of this book, Memory, describe a heated argument between a group of well-dressed elves inside an elaborately arched pavilion on an island floating in a void. In the distance, haloed by a blizzard of light, thousands of elves are maintaining an elaborate magical ritual that pulls raw essence from the fade funneled into a sphere in the air. Through the lens of the sphere can be seen a world of indigo waterfall waterfalls and rust red jungles and a temple palace so frescoed and de- cleverly carved it is a masterpiece in itself. The well-dressed elves shouting grows so loud it can be heard over the magic. One leaps at another, howling and pulling out a knife burning with prismatic flame. Architects of the Grand Sonalium, a gift from Blessed Siles to Clever June as thanks for a great favor in friendly debate over the color of the palace's roof trim. Very friendly. Very friendly. Um, I I don't know about you, but I'm constantly getting in knife fights with my friends. Literally every day. Like, cannot be overstated. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I I don't know. All of the Virdarthara... Codex entries are like what the hell is happening here? I love but them I do, all. <laughs> I do think this one's the most out there. Um, not, not the, not the flower one that the. I don't know. I, mm, I, br- I think the flower one's pretty out there. That's fair. The flower one is crazy. Um, but like this one's this, you know, friendly debate with a knife fight. <laughs> that one's also pretty crazy. Um, yeah. I just want to say. That mm-hmm. as a person who does work in a church, mm-hmm. that um, religious officials or whatever arguing over color of something <laughs> turning to a violent fight does not seem that far fetched to me. Okay, that's fair. 
Um, that is fair. I do. I just I I have so many thoughts that I have zero thoughts about this. Um, but like in my little questions, I was like, what does it mean? Do we have thoughts? Do we have theories? And the only thing that is in my brain really right now is the Miley Cyrus TikTok sound that's like, what mm. does it mean? Because I don't know <laughs> what this means. But some of the things that I think are interesting is we have a huge ritual with thousands of elves. So this is clearly happening in the time of Elvenon and Arlathon or even maybe before, who knows? Um, we have the fade is involved, which is always a great thing. Um, and we have some interesting, interesting like world landscape things where we have purple waterfalls and red jungles, which in my mind are places we haven't been to yet in Dragon Age. So that's interesting. Um, and then it says a temple palace so frescoed and cleverly carved. It's a masterpiece in itself, which I'm reminded, frankly, of the Temple of Mithal. It absolutely easily could be someplace else, but that's mm -hmm. what I thought of when I read it first. Um, and then, of course, we have this battle almost um, where the the architects of the Grand Sonalium are fighting one another. But I think the important thing to know about this codex entry is that what's at least how I'm interpreting it, what's happening in the codex, the the fighting, the magical um, ritual, all of that is happening inside the grand sonalium. And the sonalium is the thing that was the gift from Silace to June. So all of this stuff is happening in that location. I don't know. It's just interesting to me. Yeah, it's it's look at every word and have a question. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I I guess um what I hear all the time is what is a sonalium, which the the my best guess has always been like something to do with sleep. It just sounds like it would involve sleep, maybe sound. Mm -hmm. I I believe I I'm more of a sleep thing, so then that would be something to do with fade walking and doing something like that. Um and so this like then is the question like, okay, did Slays just give June a, a very pleasant napping area? Is that what this is? <laughs> is this is this like a woman giving her husband a nice couch? Is that what this is? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for fixing the shelf, honey. I got you a lazy boy. <laughs> like, is that what this is? Yeah. This is where I get so frustrated because I wish we had like, alphabets for each of the languages mm -hmm. so that we could see things in you can tell i've studied languages we could see mm -hmm. things in their original alphabets so like we could maybe if there is a connection of sleep maybe we could see some common characters between sonalium and uthanera like mm -hmm. you know yeah, unfortunately, the Dragon Age languages, which I'm sure you know if you're familiar with languages, is just a mess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the uh, the Elven, I mean, it's just a cipher; it's not even a language. And like the something happened with origins, and so uh, I, I believe uh, Einon Zer, who wrote a lot of the um, songs from Dragon Age Origins, just like did whatever the fuck he wanted, and there is no rhyme or reason to the lyrics of that song. But then the writers went ahead and actually pulled some of those lyrics to be 
real words and they don't always fit. And it's just a, especially early, it gets really clusterfuck. And <laughs> don't get me started on Q and Lot. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah Look, it's all a mess. Yeah. Not everyone can be Tolkien, and I understand that. But if you yeah. could be a little more Tolkien, I would mm -hmm. appreciate it. But let's, yeah, so this codex entry is interesting. We have no idea what it means, but it definitely does reference June and Silas. And that's about all we can kind of guess from this. So let's move into, I know, Katie, that you have some theories and thoughts that you wanted to share about June. So I'm just going <laughs> to turn it over to you. I, I come in with a bunch of papers that are just extremely <laughs> messy and I trip and they fall over the floor. And this is going like, to just be a lot of random nonsense. <laughs> So um, I guess I want to jump back to the first point uh, that we talked about is Junae created himself and um, what that could kind of mean. I, I, I think like um, he created himself into godhood is a really good interpretation, but I think we should also bring in the is Junae quote unquote like Cole where he created his body. And um, that's something that has been theorized but never confirmed that it's 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 a pretty hard fanon belief that all elves were once spirits that became physical form just by the power of wanting to have physical forms like Cole did and so what if Janae was the one to spearhead that that he learned how to create a physical form <clears throat> that's really interesting because I actually learned this today so I was watching this TikTok about elves in D&D because they made me really sad about Asterion and it's really sad and <laughs> it's not great. But elves mm -hmm. are like they're they have been like outcast from their paradise and they are constant elven souls. There's like a set number of them and they're mm -hmm. constantly reincarnated. And so this idea that like all elves were once spirits that have now taken physical form very mm -hmm. reminiscent of D and D. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, I play elves all the time in D and D, so I'm like, oh shit, I wish I knew that. That'd been cool. Right. <laughs> so I learned this because when elves have their trance, they mm -hmm. relive their memories in perfect recall. And oh. so when they're younger, before they reach maturity, they actually remember their past lives. Oh, that's wild. And so for this is all that, but what's so sad about Asterion? is that he can't perfectly recall anything except for the trauma under Cazador. Oh. Thanks for the downer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only just started playing. I, I, I knew about Cazador yeah. and all that situation, but I just started yeah. playing the uh, uh, Boulder's Gate. And like, that's been like going from Dragon Age. This is like, whoo, we're getting a little, getting a little emotional here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Especially since I started out with a dirge around them, like, oh, the squirrel, oh. no. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a lot. Anyway, Junae had a domain that just is unknowable. Like, that would be the perfect domain of being made physical. Um, so in the, in the Codex entry, Mystery of Junae, uh, which in lore is actually a paper from someone from the University of LA, which, like, the name on the, the paper makes it sound like it's, like, an elf studying at the university. But they note that Jude's role may have changed over time or simply cannot be understood today. So, like, is that the physical form or was it some unique magic? And I I would assume 
that whatever the original domain was, it would be something that would have like some logical sense as why it would over the years become crafts and all this other stuff. So, yeah, I even with just like creating a physical form, I can see how that was like, well, June creates, he creates, he creates. And that's just what it is rather than creates the physical form. Um, or we can link it back to Hephaestus where he would uh, uh, build like the armor and the weapons of the gods. To, he create automations and stuff like golems and, and all that sorts of things. And I don't know, like there, there, there is that one codex entry of Andrul having void armor. And that was like made for, even though it kind of like talks about how she made it. So maybe she did, or maybe she commissioned it or God knows what, but um, I don't know, like how many of like the weapons and things and the lore actually have him behind it. And he just has this huge magical factory of ancient, whatever the fuck. And that just, all this big magical thing just kind of got whittled down to, I make a hammer. (laughs) you know Um, (laughs) yeah um you go ahead austin well i was just gonna say there's this tendency like like human nature our actual human nature that in the absence of knowledge will put whatever like Mm -hmm. in the absence of what is actually there will create whatever um but i think it's interesting that because we know so little i can theorize this is not the fade itself like the intangible made physical are not spirits, just ideas that are out there and not not really something you can grasp onto made physical. Perhaps, maybe, June is a physical embodiment of the fate itself. Okay. So like, like um, maybe he was always a spirit kind of thing where he was just like a big mega spirit that had a lot of maybe was able to really manipulate the fade magic better than any of the other gods. It, I think it's definitely possible. Um, I am of the personal opinion and here I go bringing up solace because they <laughs> DAI kind of presents rift magic as like something that was just created because of the tear and the veil. Mm-hmm. I kind of have the theory that all the Evanuris could do that branch of magic mm-hmm. because of their, connection to the fade and whatnot and so maybe there's just that connection there and june just has a better one but there's so much like with how important like creation and crafting is in the Androstian religion mm-hmm. to verses that it's not emphasized maybe june isn't as emphasized as much because maybe it has nothing to do with the other Evanuris and has everything to do with the dalish people wanting to further distance themselves from anything that connects them to the androstian religion mm-hmm. I- because i think there's an argument to be made if you're going to make someone like these Evanuris who are the maker june is a stronger argument than elgernon in my opinion mm. I think that's fair. And I definitely see, um, I think that the desire to want to separate yourselves away from another group of people, especially a group of people that is oppressing you, is a very natural 
tendency and desire. And so I think that explanation for it makes a lot of sense. But I also think just going back a little bit to like Junae's domain, I think um, the idea that his role is something that cannot be understood today, something I wanted to bring up earlier but forgot was Uthanera. You know, the elves mm. cannot do Uthanera anymore. They don't know how to do it. The knowledge has been lost. And furthermore, they're, they don't live as long, so they, they can't do it. Um, and so I wonder if he is the god over Uthanera, over that process. Maybe he created it. Maybe he taught it to the elves. Um, and and I can imagine that there would be a lot of things involved in Uthanera, like building those temples, building the materials and the things needed to physically contain the bodies and you know the magic and all of the things. So I can imagine, okay, there are a lot of different ways and things that need to be created that go into this that might explain some of the oh well it's smithing and it's creating and it's all of these other things too um so i think that could be one explanation for it um as well but that's definitely the first thing that comes to my mind when i think of something in the lore that simply cannot be understood today something that i was thinking about also was what if there's not much known about him because I can't think of a better way to word this other than what I'm about to say, which is really dumb. He was really scary. <laughs> it's kind of like how we don't have the original word for bear, because if you spoke about a bear, it would bring it. I mean, mm -hmm. does that makes sense. Yeah. Like it just like, if you talked about whatever his domain was like, it's this very big, bad thing and we don't want to think about it. And so mm -hmm. like, he just kind of, you know, we don't really talk about him anymore <laughs> other than like, Oh, he does crafts in the secret third thing that we're not going to think about. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I think that makes sense too. There's there's just so many options that it could be. Mm -hmm. Which um sort of on that. So it, it, we were talking about the the the, the and stuff and I don't know if it was on purpose or for whatever reason, but the the two Valisleen from Inquisition I think look a lot like Fenris's markings in Dragon Age 2. Um very very particularly um the both the designs of the Valisleen have like this neck piece and like the 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 flanges kind of point different directions but it has like the same like line weight and thickness and kind of the overall designs and it, you can't actually see it in game um but it is in all the concept art and in the comics but Fenris has like these three dots on his forehead and like Junae's primary design is covered in dots. So it, it would make sense that there's some sort of connection there. Um, we we learn more about how Fenris got his markings, which was actually retcon, but we're going to breeze past that. Uh, <laughs> in the, in the, 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 what do they call the collection? The Wraiths of Minrathis or something like that is what uh, Nunzio and Christina decided to call the um, series as a whole. Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. I don't, it's Wraiths of something. Let yeah, me I want to say, I think it was Tevinter, maybe. Um, it's one of those, like, that's what they called it. Yes, I don't know if it's actually it's published Tevinter. anywhere. Okay, there it is. Um, yeah, so in, in that sort of thing, we kind of learned how he got the markings, which he was placed in this coffin or sarcophagus, I think they actually call it, um, that has a headdress that looks very similar to what I believe now is Gilanon. Um, and then they put a sword in the front of it and absorbs the sword made of lyrium. And that's how Fenris got his markings. And so I've always wondered, like, um, it, before this comic came out before, I was pretty solid that the headpiece was Galenon. So I thought it was Junae for the longest time. Um, 
And so I thought maybe this was how like Junae made slaves because Fenris had all like these weird connections to the powers of the Lyrium and whatever. Um, and then like, that's what uh, there's a bunch of weird connection between Fenris's markings and then Valisling itself. Um, and then, um, then I was thinking like, well, what if it's actually just the sword made out of Lyrium that created those markings? Because later on, when they put a red lyrium sword, it creates completely different markings. So maybe that sort of was connected to Junaid in some way. And I don't know. There's a lot of questions here, even with Junaid and Fenris and this lyrium sarcophagus thing. <laughs> and like, I kind of don't even know what to make of it or if they're even going to explain what that is. I mean, we can also go so far as to wonder if, and I don't know if we know, maybe Junaid created red lyrium. And the rest of the Evanuris, like, they were down with regular Lyrium. I, I don't know. That's just a, an idea I had while listening to you. I have nothing in the lore to back that up. Just mm -hmm. a fun little thought. Um, I don't know if we even know the lore behind how Red Lyrium was created, but we Not do know... All, no. we. We do have the the Red Lyrium sarcophagus that creates the... Is it the red wraith what they call him in the comics mm -hmm. yeah they it's like shrialis is the guy's real name yeah. or something like that mm. um but yeah it's like the i don't think they name it because he just kind of like appears and he's like big monster man yeah <laughs> <It was> scary <laughs> <laughs> yes well it's yeah. really interesting because we know that like from obviously from bianca's quest that red lyrium contains the blight mm -hmm. and Whatever, that the blight can only infect living things, so Lyrium is alive, we would deduce. Mm -hmm. And so, but it would make sense that maybe there I, there has yet to be a connection between, like, the Evanurus lore and Lyrium in general. Like, it's very much a dwarven thing. Well, there there is the Lyrium Mind Processing Center in Trespasser that's covered in Elven. That's true. But I wonder, because there is an association with Andriel perhaps bringing the Blight back from the Void. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there was something about Lyrium being infected, maybe as the God of Craft, that Junae had some sort of like influence on early Lyrium mines or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Anything is possible at this point. Yeah, I think... <laughs> This is why I kind of want Solus and Fenris to meet because I would wonder what Solus would have to say about Fenris's powers and his markings, though I'm not sure if either of them would survive said encounter. I get along swimmingly, actually. <laughs> Duh. Uh, maybe. No, they, they both hate, like, look, he would meet, so okay, I guess it depends on if he uh, knows he's Solus dread dread wolf or if he mm -hmm. just thinks he's some dude but just some dude like yeah mages suck but at the same time like oh we both hate slavery my man and like <laughs> give a good handshake <laughs> true yeah, I, I think, think under very limited circumstances they could be besties uh but most of the circumstances i do think they would not be besties but um, i do i do want to go back to fenris's markings because i think okay. if there is a connection to june in this it kind of is that missing piece because like 
of seeing June being scary, like this mm-hmm. terrible monstrositous thing that would come from maybe the things that he gave humanity. Because up until this, in this episode, we've talked about he's given a lot of good things to humanity or elven kind, the people. Mm-hmm. If if I can add one more thing, mm-hmm. I, I basis. I mean, you, we basically gone over all of the hard facts and this a lot of of theory too. If if I could write down what I think he is original domain was i i think he uh helped create mind controlled slaves and that the god of crafts and whatever is actually um propaganda on like oh he gave us jobs and taught us how to do helpful things when like mm. th- that's not really it he <laughs> he enslaved you <laughs> that's that because i think all the elven gods are going to end up being kind of like twisted even mythol in a way um so I, that is my guess on where June is going. Uh, and if I, I would put money down on that. I think that makes total sense. And I agree with you. I think that all of the elven gods are not quite what they seem. And, and we might get some twists to the characters in the next game. But that's one of the reasons I like Elgrenon because he's been pretty much solely depicted as like the bad father the whole time. So I am interested in how he can be good. <laughs> that that would be really funny if like he's known as an asshole of all time, but then you actually meet him and he like was actually like, pretty oh, chill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's a grandpa in sweater and pajamas, like reading the newspaper in his chair. Who just has bouts of rage. Like I, yeah. I get it, frankly, like I get it. <laughs> he's mr rogers with a, right, a drinking with problem rage, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with a drinking problem um so um really quickly let's talk about our side character um which is a very interesting character and i know that this week or not this week this season we've been doing like side characters that kind of tie into the actual character um that we're discussing on the episode this one doesn't really it's just another elf so anyway we're talking about strife uh, for our side character today really quickly and if you're listening you might not know about this character because he doesn't appear in any of the games yet um but strife is an elf who appears in Tevinter nights and a short story titled ruins of reality and the missing comic which i think makes him a very prime candidate to be a companion in dreadwolf um just frankly so Technically, Strife is a city elf originally from Starkhaven, but he did join a Dalish clan, and that was Clan Morlin. And he is described as very tall with silver hair. In the comics, he is depicted as a dark skinned elf. So if he is portrayed in Dreadwolf, and if anyone at BioWare is still <laughs> listening to this podcast, please, for the love of God, do not whitewash this man. I beg of you. <laughs> please. Please don't. You've done it too many times yeah. and we can't handle it. We just can't. Um, 
But another cool thing about Strife is that he's not super young. He is around the age of 50 in 944 Dragon. So if he does become a companion, he would be on the older side, which I personally oh. adore. I like that. I love having an older companion. I think your party always needs to have an older companion to give you a little bit of wisdom. And I do think Strife would be a good balance of assertiveness and that wisdom. So I romance option would you want to be a rom- sexy grandpa hell yeah hell yeah sexy grandpa. i mean i mean i definitely think it would be i mean i do think it's weird to have like an older companion and then like a very young looking protagonist for sure mm-hmm. but like you know you can always role play that it doesn't matter like Whatever. That's that's to the people uh, who are playing the game to decide. But I think it's great to have as much representation as possible. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That's one of the things I love about Dragon Age Inquisition, especially because like Cassandra is not young. Blackwall is not young. We have a lot of the companions who are older, maybe not like old or grandparents but like who are not in their teenage years not in their Mm. 20s who have had life experience who have made mistakes who have lived their lives and learned from it hopefully and in the case of blackwall is trying to fix his mistakes Mm. so i appreciate that as a companion as a character i think it makes a better story and i think strife is a character that absolutely could provide that as well in another game yeah yeah no i Three Trees in Midnight being the very first story of Tevinter Knights, like he, um, what was the guy? What was the other guy's name in that story? The, the Myrian, 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 yes, something yes. like that. He, uh, with with him being kind of like you know whiny and doesn't know what's going on. Strife was a much re- needed relief of like, kid, we're gonna get through this. Just trust me. I don't know. I I liked him. He was nice. I, yeah, <laughs> I would totally be down for like that campaign of like, look crazy stuff's going on but we're gonna get through this you know that kind of uh, a Mm grandpa-esque figure Mm -hmm. yes yeah absolutely so um, i could i could see that serving kind of like similar to like how varic would in like uh the other games yeah or even when i think um maybe like a little bit less judgmental but (laughs) i mean she is kind of judgmental especially through romance so (laughs) Oh, totally. <laughs> but um, but, about her. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Uh, like, she's made her own mistakes. She has every right to be judgmental, like, you know. Um, but yeah, I absolutely, I think that he could be a similar character to both of them um, in that kind of like wisdom, parental figure almost. Um, mm. But yeah. So let's get into what we do know about him. So you did mention Three Trees to Midnight, which we have that one and then two others. But um, we do know also before we get into that, we know that he basically got kicked out of Starkhaven because he was standing up for elves who were being mistreated. And so, as you can imagine, he got into some trouble with the humans obviously. So he did have to leave Starkhaven for good because he assaulted a human guard who was beating elven children. To that, I say good job, props, 10 out of 10. Um, but so anyway, he li- he leaves and was basically living in the woods when his Dalish clan finds him, and that's how he joins their clan. So anyway, in Three Trees to Midnight, this is one of my favorite stories in Tevinter Nights. I think it's very interesting because we get a glimpse of conflict that is beyond the interpersonal. Like it is interpersonal, but it's also 
a lot more than that. It's also systemic. So the story follows a group of Cunari taking prisoners after the fall of Ventus. Strife is a main character, like we just discussed, and he is shackled to a Tevinter mage named Myrian or Mirian. We don't know, but they're instantly antagonistic to one another as Myrian kind of strikes first and calls Strife a knife ear. And so Strife reacts by calling him a lazy shem. And the Kunari leader, who is the boss tar, reprimands them for arguing. And what happens next is why I love Strife. Like, this was the moment where I was like, you are my new favorite character. Because Strife responds by calling him bastard, bastard, obviously, which I think shows his personality of like, he's not afraid to stand up to unjust people. He's not afraid to stand up for or stand up to leaders who are like, you know, power tripping. He is aggressive and assertive, but also in a way of like, I'm low key. Like, I'm not going to go out here and just like start beating you up, but like, I'm going to be this person that is an immovable, um, target almost like mm-hmm. you will have to go through me to get to the people behind me kind of thing. So I, I love him already mm-hmm. right off the bat. Um, But a lot of things happen in this chapter, especially if you love Kunari lore, go read this chapter because there's a lot of implications for the next game. But just to mm-hmm. summarize Strife and Myrian end up saving each other's lives and they escape, at least attempt to. Um, They do make it to the woods where they meet another elf named Ireland, who's also from Strife's clan, who's also been in the missing. But they do end up having to fight the Cunari and they, along with another Cunari, they do kill the Bastar leader. We learn a little bit about the conflict with the Cune. It could lead to a Cunari civil war. We don't really know. Um, but by the end, Strife and Myrian, they're not quite friends. Like, I would not go so far to say that they're friends, but I think they both understand that they owe each other their lives. And so that there's at least a little bit of respect there for each other because there have mm-hmm. been moments where Strife helped Myrian, Myrian helped Strife, you know, vice versa. Yes. Um, and then the next story we have is called Ruins of Reality. And this is a short story. And it's, I can't remember the year it came out, but it was one of the short stories released on Dragon Age Day. I think and it was one of the first times yeah, they released short I, stories. I think so. I want to say it was like 2020 or something. Like it mm-hmm. was before we were content creating for Dragon Age 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it was a little bit ago. But basically what happens is a relic of the Dalish clan Morlin, which has been handed down over generations, starts rewriting itself just kind of of its own volition. And it's starting to describe ruins that hold a powerful artifact in Arlathan Forest the scene of every crime. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So Strife is sent on a mission to retrieve this artifact. And he realizes pretty quickly that something's gone wrong in the forest, that the landscape has stretched, time works differently. And he sees a mirror image of himself. He does also find the relic, which is a, interestingly enough, crystal hollow figurine held by a statue of Gilanon. So while Strife works as bait, basically, for these angry Sylvans, Ireland, sh- she comes back again and she's shape-shifting um, to retrieve the artifact. And so together they're able to save it and they go back to camp. And then the last one that we have 
from Strife is a couple um, issues of The Missing comic, which just came out in 2023. And so we have Strife, Ireland, and a few other elves meeting Varric and Harding at the entrance of Arlathan Forest. And Varric is basically like, oh, we just want you to like give us entry into the forest. And Strife is like, you're not going to make it if I don't go with you. So <laughs> we'll just work together on this one. Mm-hmm. And so they go to find the Crucius Stone. But anyway, so they end up having to go through several different like trials. And then the last and most difficult one is they have to take down a Vartoral. And then after they reach the temple, they do realize that the stone has already been stolen by Solus or Fenharel, which is when Varric tells Stryphon Ireland that Solus is Fenharel, and they're both like shocked. And the thing that is interesting to me about this is that means that Solus has not revealed himself to all the Dalish, at least at the point that the missing is set in. So that's interesting. And maybe he's revealed himself to like all of the keepers, but not all of the like other regular clan members. I don't know. Um, But I do think that that's pretty significant. Yeah, I I guess I never thought he contacted the Dalish because he low-key hated the Dalish. True. <laughs> he was very aggressive with Lavelle and of like, the Dalish are the worst things that ever happen, but you're okay. You're the best thing. Can-. Like, it was like, eh, it's a little, uh, I don't know about that. True. Okay. That's true. But I can also see him wanting to like, be the elven savior and correct them and be like, here's why everything you're doing is wrong. Come and follow me and I'll teach you how to do it the right way. But I think he tried that. And then he talked about how like he got ran out by the Dalish or something at one point. Oh, that's true. That's true. But I can see him doing it time Mm -hmm. after time. He Um, keeps trying. (laughs) Like I just, yeah. Um, Fair. That's very fair. But I do think, um, I, I agree with you. I do think that the primary people that Solus is going to be targeting are city elves mm-hmm. because they're the ones that, frankly, are the most downtrodden by humans. And so I think they're the most likely to join him. Um, I, just, I think it might. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, go ahead. If I remember correctly, a lot of the Dalish actually are descendant from the royalty of mm. of the the uh, Arlathan, and they because they were able to do whatever. And then a lot of the people in the human cities were um, people who were captured and enslaved by Tevinter when the fall of Arlathan happened. So the people that he was really trying to save are really the descendants of or flip flip that the the descendants of the people he tried to save are the the ones in the human cities and i that's interesting i have never heard that before so um that's fascinating to me i definitely um i can see how that would be true i also though think you know in the lore there's some i don't remember what it comes from but Mm -hmm. there's something that says like city elves they have a tendency to be Androstian, like there's more of yeah. them that are part of the chantry. And I think that's just proximity of living to humans. But I can also see how a woman who became a god, similar to some of the elven gods, who went through slavery like they have gone through, can be an appealing person to worship. But yeah, and that was almost like that was, I think, a major key part of um, the Jaws of Hakon DLC because mm-hmm. you have someone from the Dales who also worshipped Andrasse into the Pantheon. He was like, "Yeah, great, another one, bring her in." Yes, which we'll talk about in just a few weeks on the podcast. Well, there you go. <laughs> you got to tune in next time. Yes. So, um, just back to strive for a little bit. The last mm-hmm. little trivia thing that I want to bring up is that. 
the the interesting thing is that in Tevinter Nights, he has no Valisling, mm-hmm. but by the missing, he does. And specifically, he does have the Valisling of Andriel, I think. Yes. I think so, and yeah. So, um, maybe his tribe, his uh, Dalish tribe, like they encouraged him to do that, or maybe he wanted to do that. We don't really know. We just know that that is a change that occurs from Tevinter Nights to the missing. Um, so that's about all I have for strife. Do y'all have any thoughts on him? Anything you like, dislike, want to see him in Dreadwolf, etc.? I mean, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to see him again. There's, there's, I don't know. I, most of the side characters they've introduced us to are like pretty solid, especially in Deventer Nights. Like there's maybe only a handful of people in Deventer Nights. They're like, yeah, they should stay there. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> Like, I don't yes. really want to see the squid monster. Like, n- mm. not that it was poorly written. I just don't want to see it. <laughs> I'm I'm 100% with you on that one. <laughs> I'm okay with that one. Yes, uh, he it. knows. But yeah, I, I love to see. And uh, Miriam, Myrian, whatever his name is, see the squirrely kid. We can see how much he's grown. Because, like, if that happened, like, at the beginning of, I did it say a year when that started? I forget. Was that closer to the 40s? Or I don't is it- remember. I don't yeah. remember at all. Because they, it could possibly be like ten years since that event happened. Honestly, it's been mm-hmm. so much time in real life and in lore that who who knows where they are now. Yep. So I won't make a comment about that one, but um, <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, this has been a really fun episode. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. I know we've gone over a little bit on our oh, time. That's fine. Um. But is there anything either of you would like to talk about in regards to June or Strife before we wrap it up? I only got the shit post of what if they're the same person? <laughs> no, we don't know. We don't know. We don't. There, There is always the 0.0001% chance that it's possible. This is, this is, I always... I know some people generally like it, but it's like one of my least favorite thing at theories. But this is how I feel like when people say like Sarah is Andrew. No, she's not. No, she's not. <laughs> yeah, I think the fan theory is funny just because Sarah hates elf stuff so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, but probably not. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, Katie, if you want to um plug for our listeners any of the things you have going on especially like your youtube channel now would be the time yeah so uh, if you don't know who i am my name is katie and i am gilderthalen and i run the gilderthalen youtube channel on you'll never guess where youtube uh, <laughs> i'm kind of like pause a lot of stuff now because i have a crazy life um i even have videos that are in the works that are at least a month late at this point um but i i'm going to start because apparently we might, this might be the year, guys. This might be the year. I say this every year, but that might be right this time. Um, I'm going to try to start making more stuff and get back into the swing of things. And yeah, you know, we can reconnect again and talk about Dreadwolf. What about that? Yeah, imagine. <laughs> imagine. Putting on content. my clown makeup. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
Uh, but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll definitely have to chat again if we get any um, late breaking Elven lore news in mm-hmm. the next couple months, hopefully with the, the summer announcements. But um, yeah, I think that's all we've got for the episode, Austin. So if you kind of want to um, close us out, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for being here with us, Katie. It was great to talk with us. Thanks. Likewise. Yeah. For- yeah, we love talking about Dragon Age. We love putting on our tinfoil hats and theorizing. Um, so thanks for being here. And thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere.